Many of the stories on this show have storybook endings. Everything turns out okay. Cancer is cured, a kidney shows up, a tumor is caught in time. But the realities of medicine mean that many stories are a little more bumpy. Today's episode is case in point. There are funny misunderstandings, tragic moments, and impossible decisions to be made. But the strength of the doctor-patient relationship works to absorb the inevitable shocks that accompany managing a chronic condition. Dr. Mandelbaum is a pediatric neurologist at Rhode Island Hospital. This means that every day he helps kids with chronic, incurable conditions. So I found it surprising that he really seems like he's having the time of his life. He just loves children. I mean, his phone ringtone's a little baby giggling. 15 years ago, Dr. Mandelbaum was entrusted with the care of an infant. We'll call her Bernadette. Today, we speak with Bernadette's mother and hear the struggles she faced and how Dr. Mandelbaum and his team have supported her. I'm Viknesh Kasturi. And I'm Alex Homer. And this is Back of the Chart. Even when Bernadette was an infant, her mother knew something was off. She noticed when feeding her baby that Bernadette's eyes would flutter and her arms would stiffen. Bernadette's pediatrician thought that it was a behavioral issue, but her parents were convinced it was something else. Once, during a scheduled visit, Bernadette displayed those exact symptoms, and the pediatrician was convinced. He referred them to a neurologist for an EEG. Here's Bernadette's mother. We met with the lab technician first, or the, the one who runs the EEG. So we went in to get the EEG first, but we weren't told to have her sleep-deprived, and so she was not cooperating. And um, the technician was kind of frustrated. It was a three-day weekend coming up, and he wanted to get out of there. And he said, how long has she been having these episodes for? And I said, you know, it's been since birth, probably. And he said, well, what difference is a couple days going to make, right? Because I was distraught that we were leaving without the test. Um, I left there and my husband was like, no, we are not going back to any appointment that you made to see this doctor. We will never meet with this doctor. It's just not going to happen. Went home. My husband gets on his laptop, looks up number one child neurologist, local. Manabon pops up and we're like, that's where we're going. So we called, got an appointment and within what was it, like five minutes of sitting in his office with him? He said, well, I can tell you she's having seizures. And I got to say, it was um, sort of a horrifying moment as a parent, but the overwhelming feeling was of relief. It was just a big relief to have a name for what was happening and someone to acknowledge that this was a very serious thing and not, you know, a behavioral thing. She wasn't acting shy. These were seizures. So, yeah. I don't know that I ever heard this background story. And uh, it's like everything that could possibly go wrong. And, you know, maybe there's an incredible value to that lesson. Number one, Bernadette has an older brother. You don't blow off a mother who has an older child. I mean, you don't blow off a mother anytime, but these are not first parents, naive parents, they had an older child and this was different. You know, they came in and said, this is different. So you just, uh, you can't ignore that. You have to listen to the parents. I guess the other thing about epilepsy in general, maybe not specifically in this case, is that you don't often get to see the seizure. Uh, It's a paroxysmal event. So you're utterly dependent on the history. 
And again, you have to take the history very seriously. And we went from eye fluttering to arm stiffening and so forth. Um, was there delay in her development at this point? Um, it was starting to show, yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. then you have the added you know, fact that, that her development was not right. So that's number one. Number two, you know, as I, I, I don't know who the other neurologist was. Obviously, on some level, he isn't uh, responsible for the behavior of his technician. On the other hand, he is. And I would argue that, technically speaking, the technician was right. This had been going on for about 12 months. Three days wasn't going to make a difference. To open a mouth is astonishing. How on earth do you say that? Think it. Oh, great. You don't think it, by all means. But to open a mouth like that to a mother, you know, what, what am I going to tell you? It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. All I knew was that in my gut was that something was very wrong, and I needed someone to tell me, I agree. I know about these things, and I agree. And that's what we got, and that's where the relief came from. Um, but there were some other events. I, you probably don't recall this, Dr. Randallon. <laughs> I, um, I, and I hesitate to mention it, but I think if we're talking about bedside manner, I have do, to you, do you, you know what I'm going to go for I have no here? idea, okay. and I have to tell you that those words, I unfortunately <laughs> get that a lot, which is... I'm going to tell you a story about Dr. Mandelbaum, and when I hear this, I'm introduced for Grand Rounds or whatever, and I just, I cringe. It's going to be said out of the deepest love and respect for you, but I I must tell this story. It's such a big part of our relationship with you from our end. Okay, so... um, one of the greatest things about this doctor is his amazing knowledge, okay? And so that's, I think, when it comes to bedside manner, that's the thing that that patients really respond to the most is like, can you help me with my problem? Medically, can you identify it? Can you give me a course of action? And he's excellent at that. Um, so excellent that he he's so in tune with what's going on and what the answer to this puzzle might be that you know, some things might fall by the wayside in the excitement of that moment. And this is what occurred. Um, he started thinking, all right, all right, all right, all right. We've got infantile spasms. And I know now he was thinking, okay, potentially tuberous sclerosis. Let's look for some signs on her skin. And so um, they stripped her clothes, which was perfectly fine. It was an exam with a woods light. So they turned out a woods lamp. They turned out the light and checked her skin. And, you know, lo and behold, there was a, uh, what is that, ash leaf Right, right. Um, it's a hypo. Mark. It's a it's a it's a hypopigmented spot, one of the neurocutaneous diseases, which can sometimes not be visible in 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 natural light, but uh, using black light, uh, it just becomes more visually apparent. So any child with any neurodevelopmental issue, I mean, again, you're going to learn this with embryology, but ectoderm is ectoderm, right? I mean, you know, some ectoderm skins turn left and become skin, and some ectoderm cells turn right and become brain. So the brain-skin relationship is a crucial one, and you must do a complete skin exam as part of any uh, uh, neurological assessment. Harvey Cushing, the founding father of modern neurosurgery, used to say that the exam is not completed until the patient's head is shaved. <laughs> because, again, to emphasize, you have to look at every inch. So we did not shave her head. No, we did not. <laughs> you, you checked her abdomen and found um, what looked like an ash leaf mark. Um, and then there was just this 
ah, you know, excitement that happened in the room, which as parents, we didn't understand what it was about. And we were quickly ushered out into another room, my husband and I, and told to strip, which we did to to our underclothes. <laughs> and as we were doing this, I was like, this is a surreal <laughs> moment. Is this really happening? Or is this Did, like some I kind of- explain Okay, this? you may have, okay, I, I want okay. to, you may <laughs> have, but it probably just in the moment went right, right past okay. me. We were standing there and I just turned to my husband and I was like, what, I'm taking my pants off and I'm like, what are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? And he said, I presume they are looking for some sort of genetic mark, you know, that would be on us that we could have passed to our daughter and would indicate some kind of disorder. And I was just kind of horrified, came in with the light and there was nothing on us. And then um, later uh, it was found in the hospital when they came in to do a further exam that that mark wasn't wasn't truly there, so it may have been some sort of anomaly in the, in the it moment. It could be a scratch, yeah. you know, it could be, yeah. unfortunately, it's the woods lamp is overly sensitive. So, all right, so let's... let's so it's really not that bad. It was the excitement of that moment well, that was... Well, obviously, look, you know, there is the aha moment of thinking you have an answer. Yep. Not whether good or bad, as you, you know, it was it was an answer. So you do, and and listen, how many times do I do a woods lamp exam and it's negative? So I have a kid coming in; she's got infantile spasms, tuberous sclerosis. Is the plurality of cases, not the majority, but the plurality of cases are is tuberous sclerosis. So yeah, so I guess it was kind of an aha moment. I would like to think. We did it a little more delicately than is being described. I suspect we didn't have gowns the size that the parents needed. It's, um, yeah, it's very likely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's so, pediatric. So <laughs> this, um, it just, I'd love to be able to say, oh, come on, I wouldn't do that, and mom must be remembering it wrong, but unfortunately I can't because it's very possible. Was Barbara there? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, she she, yeah, would, she, she would, would have stopped that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's, she, she's she the, would have rang me and she said, she, we have to find gowns, you know, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they were... They were chaperoning each other. It look. It sounds like it was less than uh, brilliantly handled. <laughs> <laughs> it turned so, out fine. Yeah. Neurological conditions like seizures are fickle, so dealing with these changes for all patients requires a team effort. Nurse Barbara Crosby serves as the contact point for Dr. Mandelbaum's patients. The parents' relationship with her is as important as their relationship with Dr. Mandelbaum. So, Nurse Crosby, as I prefer to call her, she is a, such a crucial part of my success because she is the interface. I mean, look, there's 24 hours in a day, and you got to sleep a little bit, right? And I got to write my notes, and I got to see the kids, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. If I did all the phone calls, it, it's just it's not possible. So, uh, Barbara's the point of contact um she has a phone line and parents call and you know we were working together for quite some time and she's a very good neurology nurse she knows what questions to ask she knows how to take a good history so parents would call tell her what was going on she would you know communicate to me and i was hugely comfortable 100 percent comfortable having her call back and make the recommendations, what the changes are going to be, what the, how do we implement. So she makes it possible to uh, provide a, a contact, as I say, a contact person for the family and uh, it worked out very well. Well, I would 
call her, especially when things got kind of dire and I needed to speak to someone in the moment. I knew she would, I would call her, leave a message, and she would get right back to me. And I knew that Dr. Mandelbaum was busy and had a busy schedule and probably wasn't going to reach me directly, at least not very quickly. And she was great at that. She also had this ability to sit and wait on the phone um, and listen. <laughs> I never felt like I was crunched for time um, talking with her on the phone. It was always like, all right, and what else is going on? Is there anything else? And she was a sympathetic ear, but one who I knew would listen to what I was saying and translate it appropriately to Dr. Mandelbaum. And there were times when he couldn't get back to us quickly and something was kind of urgent. And she would call me back and say, he's been thinking about this all day. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you for calling. And she's like, I will get back to you as soon as he has a solution. It's driving him nuts. Okay, this is her, right? And I'm thinking... What an important phone call to make, right? She calls me and she doesn't have any new news for me, no new prescription, right? But but she's telling me it's in his head. It's He doesn't call me and tell me that, but she does. We would joke about her in our house and call her Mandelbaum's work wife oh, because we, yeah, I know no, that's she, maybe that's, not appropriate, no, 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 but it she, really felt that way. That's how she really refers to way. herself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's true. And, and my wife is very comfortable with that fact. <laughs> Our relationship was such, and this is where Styles, you know, we talked about the reviews. <laughs> this is where Styles either mesh or clash. Uh, I do have, uh, um, and whether this is a self-protective uh, uh, belief or not, but I've always felt that if anybody's going to love you, somebody's going to hate you. Because if you're neutral, you won't be loved, you won't be hated. But if, if somebody's going to love you, then there's something sticking out. that may, And and that's going to definitely not work for somebody. So if anybody's going to love you, somebody's going to hate you. And, yeah, I mean, that's been... I have many, many people that I'm, I'm proud to say, parents and children who do. And I consider all of the family in that category. But as a result, um, there are... You know, go, go to the website. <laughs> I mean, just no. Google. We were running out of meds. You know, she was just not well controlled. Uh, and and I went through every medication that I had available to me. And obviously the ones that are left, there are issues, right? Otherwise, use them earlier. And one of them was a medication that's been associated with retinal changes. And the other is it was associated with liver and bone marrow failure. Okay. You know, not commonly, but real, real phenomena. And I said, listen, which would you rather risk, death or blindness? It was, you know, probably not, shouldn't no, say that no, to a patient. Not most not people, familiar you know, with, right? Don't but know you know, but it was. This was, you know, this is a long-standing relationship with people that I had confidence understood. I was not being glib or cavalier. No, it was a but, way to diffuse was the just, tension right. of I mean, the situation. How else do you, yeah. you know, yeah. how else? That was the issue. That was the choice. But and I could either you know do it sort of slowly or just you know make it sort of a joke about it. But but um, and I think we ended up not. I think something else we came out. We went a different route. Yeah, yeah. We went a different yeah. route. But yeah. but it, it just summed up the situation we were in, which was ridiculous. We were in an untenable situation, yeah. Yeah. and I think when you throw it out like that, you're 
acknowledging the absurdity of what I'm asking them to do. So I, I, again, not diplomatic, but again, very effective for people that you're confident in. I, I, I choose to believe if I was seeing somebody for the first time, I wouldn't have done Probably that. Probably wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'd like to believe yeah. that, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> being a physician, you're being led in to the most intimate inner sanctum of a person's life in any circumstance. And when you're taking care of somebody's child, you're responsible for the single most important thing in a person's life. I mean, that's it. You know, there's nothing more profound. So there's going to be an intense emotional investment. And... uh, or at least there should be an intense emotional investment. And the parents are incredibly uh, dependent on, you know, you're getting it right. And sometimes there is no getting it right. Sometimes there is no solution. And then you got to do what you can. You, know, you can't always fix things, but you got to do what you can. Um, and at least explain uh, where the hang-up is, you know. I would say with our daughter, you were our family's best you know, foul weather friend. That's how I would describe it. Because when the very worst was happening with her, we didn't have other people to turn to. It was Dr. Mandelbaum who was there to help and really make the situation that was bad just a little bit better. And that's what he did consistently. And there was really no one else who filled that position. Family doesn't fill that position. You know, my husband and I don't. So it's this teamwork, but without him that piece is missing. It's really a, an essential partnership, so. Can you tell us about one of those moments? Oh, which one? I don't <laughs> know. Um, well, I don't, so it, Bernadette had a lot of um, different types of seizures as the years went on. So she started with the infantile spasms and she went on to these sort of drop seizures. That was a particularly hard time and very isolating for our family because we couldn't take her out without really fearing it was it was daily just keep her alive that was the goal um and things like radiators or um you know or water or being near a fireplace i mean she could suddenly seize with a full forceful drop and she had many injuries as a result of that so she had things like she hit her eye on the coffee table big gash many stitches um and one time she actually was just standing in the middle of the room collapsed on her foot and broke her foot so we went to see Mandelbaum not long after that and um in her office and i brought her in and i had my son also, and I think I had my baby daughter. So I was walking in with daughter on my arm, my big clumsy son walking into, and then I was pulling Bernadette, and she was, I don't know, maybe eight or nine at that time in a um, one of these collapsible wagons. Okay, so it was quite a scene we made pulling in there, and we're sitting in the office, and he walks in, and he sees her in this cast sitting in, in this um, wagon, and he says, that's not because of a seizure, right? (laughs) And I said, yes, it is. And he said, this is unacceptable. (laughs) And he seemed thoroughly disgusted with the whole thing. Um, You know, look, I'm not her mother. And so I can't begin to relate to what Bernadette's parents go through. You feel like such a failure. You feel so inadequate. 
that she should get hurt. You know what I mean? Because the seizures themselves don't harm the brain. I'm pretty comfortable with that. It's always, it's, it's the cause, okay? It's all about the cause. In other words, there are kids who have lots and lots of seizures, uh, petty mal absence, 100 a day, and they're fine. You know, I mean, they're walking and talking and they're going to school and they're fine, okay? So, I, I don't, you know, I wasn't freaking out that the seizures were causing brain damage, although you, obviously they're disruptive and so forth, but that she hurt herself, that I, that these drop attacks and the head bumps and so forth. And you just, you just, I can't even protect this kid, you know what I mean? It, it's just, and, and I, I do actually, not literally, literally, but I just remember that was my fault. That, that broken leg was my fault. You know, that's, that's that crazy. Bruise, no, no, no. <laughs> that bruise on her eye no. was my fault. You know, I'm sure, and I'm at some level, I, you know, I understand that that we could blame God or something. You know, we could work it out. Out, but you just, just keep her safe. You know, that's yeah. So I, I was not happy. <laughs> no, but that reaction matters, right? Yeah. So that reaction matters because when I see that, I say, oh, he cares. It, it's like as if he'd walked in the room and said, I really care about her. <laughs> and it was just so spontaneous. I knew it was coming from a place that was sincere. I don't remember, Dr. Mandelbaum, you saying to us things like, you know, this classic thing you hear, doctor, my doctor said I would never walk, yeah, and then yeah. I walk, look <laughs> at me, you know, and I'm always thinking, like, did the doctor really say you would never walk? Or you never said anything like that to us, and I think what you did say to us were some smaller, more subtle things along the way. Um, I remember one instance you did tell us, um, you know, I've seen a lot of patients with infantile spasms, and I don't want you to misunderstand this type of seizure is particularly insidious. I remember you saying that, and you saying that a small, very small percentage of the patients you had seen with that type of seizure had gone on to go to college, for instance, right? And in that moment, I understood, okay? And I understood it in a way that I came to understand slowly as I watched my daughter, and I understood, like, this is not in the cards for her, right? She's not going to be that small percentage. But just you mentioning it that in that way, put me in a place where that was sort of, okay, that's kind of the frame that we're looking at here. But it wasn't saying she will never do X, Y, or Z. It was sort of saying, preparing a way for like, you know, they're, we're heading in, in this direction with this type of disorder. And I appreciated that. And, and I guess that's the balance between, again, not, t- not saying she could get hit in the head by a branch of a tree versus not feeling I should know something about their daughter that they don't and if if it was 50 50 i don't think i would have said that because it's 50 50 and what parent isn't worried that that something bad isn't going to come of this but in the context of a pretty severe you know infantile spasms which is a bad seizure category I shouldn't know what they you know more than they know and and this was something that i could say with pretty high probability i obviously you leave some hope you know that maybe she'll fall in this small category but they need to be understanding that it's unlikely i think i think that's fair so you don't quash hope but you also don't give make false promises for two years bernadette's seizures were controlled so as per protocol dr mandelbaum took her off the meds soon though the episodes returned Dr. Mandelbaum was convinced it was seizures again, and he resumed her old medications. 
but this time the treatment didn't work. Once, during a particularly intense episode, Bernadette's parents couldn't figure out how to relieve her pain. So they took Bernadette to the emergency room. And she came into the ER during one of these episodes, and we actually were able to get the EEG while she was having the episode. It was totally not epileptic. I mean, it was totally not a seizure. Now, EEGs can miss, but she was really in the throes of it. And I looked at it. She was awake. She was even polite. She was in misery. She was. It, it was so, again, heartbreaking. She was so distressed, but she was still being polite and pleasant. But that means that consciousness was not altered. And I said, she's in pain. You know, she's just in distress. And I just said, I, what if I'm wrong? You know, what if we're just... So I just said, she's in distress. She's pale. Let's treat her for migraine. So I put her on a migraine preventative. And we got a magical response. So mom sent me an email, a thrill to report. Bernadette has had no episodes of trembling slash head and stomach distress since starting propranolol on September 1st. This is now September 26th. Additionally, she's not one, once complained of any minor symptoms where her complaints were multiple times a day prior to starting the new drug. We're sure it's helping, and it is a capital huge relief. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So obviously, this is, you know, this is what you live for, right? And especially when it entailed regrouping. I, would, I don't think I would have been as able to be so sure if I hadn't seen it. Yeah. Well, that and was pretty remarkable yeah. that you were there. Yeah, so yeah. I think that doesn't happen very often. So that, you know, the fact I, that we could take her into the ER and then her neurologist shows well, up I at the ER. And, okay, you, you can know, make whatever yeah, yeah. explanations you want, yeah, but, but that's... To me, that's, I mean, that makes a big difference to but, us as her parents that he showed up in that moment and but, was able yeah. to... At, you know, see what was occurring. And, and, you know, I was in the lab and I think I knew she was down there and I wasn't on surface or anything, but... But you chose to go through, down there. Would, you didn't was, have to go down there. Right? I gotta see? go down. It's Do Bernadette. Yeah, but, you name. know, Bernadette loves me. I get it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, no, I, I guess that mom's making a fair point. Without the relationship... I'm not on service, you know. Yes. Doctor Robin Holly will see her, who's great, you know. You know, she's one of the smartest people I know, and she may have seen it and said the same thing. But I went down because it's Bernadette. Yeah, I didn't write a note. I wasn't seeing her officially. I just looked at her and I could. I just said, I, I don't, I don't think these are seizures. And and I said, let's just try something else, and it seems to have worked. And you don't always get so lucky, but at least, you know, what if I'm wrong is a good. It's a good question. We're so thankful to Dr. Mandelbaum and Bernadette's mother for sharing their story. And we're so thankful to you all for listening. Make sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next episode on family medicine and preeclampsia. Back of the Chart is produced and hosted by Alex Homer and Viknesh Kasturi. You can find us online at backofthechart.weebly.com and on Twitter at backofthechart. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. It helps new listeners find the show. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to faculty and staff at Brown University for making this possible.